This is Ecotopia on KZFR. I'm Susan Trudy. And I'm Stephen Trudy. In this program, we welcome Gail Kimball, a multidimensional activist, writer, health consultant, and programmer for KZFR Chico, where she discusses local politics, youth activism, ethnic cultures, immigrants, unhoused people, education, gender roles, involved fathers, long-term marriages, religion, profession, addiction, psychology, and she is an, an intuitive coach. Great list of credentials, Gail. Welcome to Ecotopia. Thank you. It's good to be with you too. So today we want to talk with you about your new book it's called Climate Girls Changing the World. So our first question is, you've written many books. Why did you decide to write this one? I spent years researching global youth and Generation Y, and I collected over 4,000 surveys and interviews from 88 countries because I all of my books, 22 books, seem very disparate, but they're really unified by seeking to amplify the voices of unheard people, unrecognized, um, unvalued people, and I include youth in that group that are treated unfairly. So out of that came books like Your Mindful Guide to Academic Success, Beat Burnout for Young People. I did a book for youth studies, academics called Ageism in Youth Studies, Generation Maligned. I did How Global Youth Values Will Transform Our Future, Brave, a two-volume book about young women's cultural revolution, and resist goals and tactics for change makers. So that, that was mostly from Generation Y. But then to update that, I was really interested in what Generation Z is doing. So those are people that are that are 25 and younger now. So it's it's kind of an update of the, the youth activism, youth values research. And why the focus on climate change? What prompted that? The, the UN Scientific Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, is, they did a really famous report in 2018, and they said we have 12 years, and that was in 2018, to turn around global warming, and it shouldn't go beyond 1.5 centigrade, or we are in big trouble, and we are already in big trouble, and we're just about at one degree centigrade, um, increase in, in global warming. So they said we need to cut emissions by 2015, which, I mean 2050, which means they have to be cut in half by 2030, but we're not doing that. And Trump pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord and all the Republicans who are still in denial on state and local level that humans are involved in climate change. It, it's our number one issue. You, nothing has any meaning if we destroy our habitat, our environment. So to me, that's the issue of our era. So I wanted to find out what's being done to solve that crisis. And why the focus on young women? Um, I think everybody knows that Greta Thunberg in when she was 15 started the youth movement called Fridays for Future or School Strike that spread all the way around the world. 
so I was interested in talking to young women because they're the leaders, they're the organizers, all the, the, the young people that I organized, I mean, that I talked with, all 54 reported that in their local climate groups, it's mostly young women. Mm-hmm. There are famous men like Martinez, the um, indigenous leader in Colorado who's done so much with Earth Guardians. He's probably the f- most famous young man. But um, overall, it's young women who are leading climate change crisis. And how did you find these young women and, and do the research? I started with doing just ordinary research articles on young women climate activists and and saw the one the names that kept coming up and then i did snowball sampling because these girls and young women know who each other are because they communicate in social media so they know each other's names around the world if i say to someone in england something about how we I don't know how you pronounce OU, but she's a famous Chinese activist. They go, oh yeah, we know about how, we know mm. what her situation is. So the snowball sampling, they they suggested people. And also a lot of the more famous ones didn't want to be interviewed or a couple of their mothers didn't want them to be interviewed. <laughs> so, um, but I was happy to include people who aren't famous and who are doing the work. I don't know the term snowball sampling. It just means reaching out. It means out, if, if I interview you <clears throat> as <throat> a as a host and former English professor, I say, do you know any other Got radio it. hosts who are doing this the same kind of work as you? Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, oh yeah, talk to so and so and so and so. I'm I'm working. My next book is about couples with happy long term marriages. So um, I'm I, everybody I ask. I interview, I also ask, who else do you know that mm-hmm. has an interesting long-term mm-hmm. marriage like you do? And <laughs> how did you actually uh, record the interviews? Were these uh, phone interviews, email? They, I did Skype <clears throat> and okay. um, people can see them. Listeners, viewers can see the, a lot of the Skype interviews on my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And I that's, that's something I did with a trilogy where I interviewed 65 visionary scientists about the new paradigm that's non-materialistic that acknowledges the importance of consciousness. And I love that format because people don't have to buy the book. They can just listen to the interview for free on YouTube or they can read the chapter that's more coherent than the interview in the book. And then if they wanna see the person in action, than they can. And that's really interesting with interviewing the couples because if they sit together, you can see who's kind of dominant, who's who stays away, who has the bigger chair. So you just, you can see a lot just from, from body language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then in the book, you present the interviews pretty much verbatim, maybe some editing. A lot of editing because okay. our speech okay. is so much different than what we want to read. So they were usually cut at least a third, sometimes a half, just mm-hmm. from superfluous. But the, the girls and young women went over it as well. So okay. I went over it for readability. 
they went over it for accuracy and to see if they wanted to add anything, if they were okay with being quoted, having their name and the photo. Each chapter starts with their photograph in action. Mm -hmm. So they, they gave me those photographs. So they okay. were okay with them. This is Ecotopia on KZFR Chico. We're talking with Dr. Gail Kimball about her new book, Climate Girls Saving the World. So we might we thought we might hopscotch the continents. Your, your book is breaking in broken into seven continents, as I recall, uh, and ask you maybe to give us some highlights of your research, young women who particularly stand out among young activists, and give us maybe some samples of their work. Let's start with Africa. Africa is a great place to start. Um, it, it has about only produces about 8% of the greenhouse gases, but is really suffering. Um, about 20 million people have to have fled the continent due to droughts and climate change, the global warming. Um, another issue is that with, that they experience that we don't as much is um, the interface of wildlife and human conflicts as humans encroach where the lions and rhinos and zebras are, there's, there's conflict. And um, so a lot of the African activists were especially concerned about protecting wildlife. And they do things like raise money from their friends to take water to the rhinos when, when they were in the middle of the drought and all the, the water holes had, um, had dried up. And I think the kind of theme that I heard from African activists is that um, they, they called it white saviorism. Vanessa Nakate, N-A-K-A-T-E from Uganda is probably the most famous African young woman that I interviewed. And she uses that term. And she said, like, everyone knew about the Australian fires. We all saw the, the brush fires. We saw the little koala bears, the little paws burned. And mm -hmm. we, we, we all knew about that. And we know, you know, when California has a big fire near we live, but people don't pay attention to the, the drought, the lack of water, the, the warming that um, influences Africa, where most of the people are, are small farmers. Um, and another, another interesting issue in Africa that I hadn't heard about till I started doing this research and is the Congo rainforest. So the Congo rainforest is the second most influential rainforest after the Amazon mm -hmm. in terms of being the lungs of our, of our planet. And actually a lot of the, the North American and European uh, young women have joined in this campaign that Vanessa helped foment to save the, the Congo rainforest. Um, I hadn't heard about it before. Were you familiar with it? No. Yeah, we all know about the Amazon, but not the Congo. So they feel like their issues are not recognized, uh, valued, paid attention to, although and they contribute the least to global warming, but suffer mm -hmm. some of the most. Um, and Vanessa also is an example of Africans starting their own groups. Like she started a group called Youth for Future Africa and Rise Up. 
and she, she's, she's been very well known, but there's a famous incident that you may have heard about. It was at Davos when they had the big meeting of influential people and AP did a photograph of the four white girls, the European girls who were mm. at the conference, but they cut out Vanessa. <laughs> and so it seemed pretty obvious for white girls, the one black girl that was in the same photo was cut. Um, mm. So that kind of symbolizes what the Africans feel. And I heard that from other uh, global South inhabitants, like in India, girls said, oh yeah, we felt like we're the tokens. They'll have their one person from the global South in this meeting, this conference. So, okay, we can relax now. And tokenism mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't do the job. How do the organizations that uh, the girls have started function? What kind of membership do they have? And what kind of projects are they implementing? This is really interesting to me as a feminist because a, a, a major issue of feminism in the second wave, like in the 60s and 70s, is how do you organize in a way that's not hierarchical? How do you organize without bosses? And in, in the 60s and 70s, they called them media stars. You shouldn't be a media, meteor star, media star. And Joe Freeman is a woman wrote a really influential article called The Tyranny of Structurelessness, where she said, mm. if you don't talk about it, you still have it. You still have people who have more time, more talent, are more used to public speaking or that kind of uh, skill. And so those hierarchies exist anyway. So you better name them and work with them. So it was, it was very interesting to me because the, the activists today are working with the same issue. How do we get things done? Not have long, long, long meetings, blah, 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 blah. And um, not blindly follow some media star and leader. And Greta Thunberg is really careful to not assume that kind of role. Yeah. So that Fridays for Future, they connect in international um, online calls and also do a lot of, um, of tweeting and Instagram and emailing and all the, the sources that we have. But um, she's pretty careful to stay in the background. So um, she, she's not seen as setting policy, as being supportive, but, but not there. Mm -hmm. So they mostly organize online and do a lot of Zoom calls, that kind of thing. Um, and work locally with international or national coordination. Interesting. Yeah, it is. It's, I got in trouble with the Wall Street people a few years ago uh, because the Occupy, I, Wall I, Occupy Wall Street. I used to do consensus building workshops and it is tough to get things done when you're consensus building. So I argued for a consensus building version of parliamentary procedure and nobody wanted to hear about that, but it does indicate that you do have to structure those kinds of things. Doesn't necessarily mean that there'll be a dominant leader, but it does mean that there's somebody who say, okay, time for us to do a little action here. We gotta bring some closure. 
Usually what they do is small task groups within a larger organization. Uh -huh. So you'll be in charge of publicity. You'll be in charge of working with the police. <laughs> My cat wants to tune in. Yeah. You, you'll be in charge of um, coordinating internationally, whatever it is. So the, the task groups are small enough that you can work with consensus. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to Asia. Um, what countries did you uh, find interviewees there? And how, how, how did the issues differ from in various parts of Asia from say, Nepal to Japan to Eastern Russia? And, and talk about some of the activists you talked about, talked to there. Uh, I think, although Asia has the most population with China at 1.4 billion and India at 1.3 billion, uh, China's the world's largest polluter. So you would think that Asia, because of the population and pollution problems, would be at the forefront of activism uh, about dealing with the climate crisis but it's not. Hmm. And in all the countries that I interviewed in Asia, China, India, um, not so much Nepal, even Japan, Philippines, um, there's no or little government support for activism of this type. And so I, one of the interesting young women, I could only find one woman who would talk to me in China. Her, her, she calls herself mm. Howie, H-O-W-E-Y-O-U, her, her last name. And so sad because she cares so much about pollution and the environment and what we're doing to our planet. But um, she's had to drop out of high school because the high school said she couldn't be in high school and also be organizing strikes or that kind of thing. So she's really suffered from a lot of depression and anxiety and uh, mm. turmoil because she, it's like being some devout religion and not being able to practice your religion. It's, it's very, creates a lot of inner conflict. Um, so, I, I, I think of India's, you know, founded on the principles of Gandhi and civil rights and equality for all, but um, there's not a large um, national uh, environmental movement, partly because um, Prime Minister Modi seems committed to environment, not to the environment, to economic growth. So at all costs, we want to grow our economy. But the uh, environment suffers. I mean, India deals with drought and lack of water and pollution. The sacred Mother Ganga, the Ganges River, is disgusting. The, the government's trying to clean it up, but it's if you don't have alternatives, you burn your funeral pyre there, you wash, you defecate, you do everything into Mother Ganga. So it, it's, it's really... It's really difficult. Um, if free speech is limited, the Philippines, Russia, China. Um, I'm reading a book now about censorship in China and how um, pervasive it is. Uh, they, they really relish the, the use of the internet, but they control it. They, they, they don't let people have access um, to Google and Twitter and, mm -hmm. and those kind of things. Um, 
so it's hard to have a, a any kind of social movement without with such uh, censorship. And you know, the head of the Philippines is pretty scary. His way mm -hmm. of dealing with drugs is to kill the dealers yeah. uh, with with violence. Um, so in, in, in India, it's more the indigenous people, the tribal people who have fought to preserve their forests and their lands and, and that kind of thing. But it, it's, it's not encouraging, especially because India and China are, are big polluters and lots of people. So did you talk to girls there? Uh, you talked to, about the girl in China. Did you talk to somebody in India about efforts that are being made, even if they're not very, maybe able to be very productive? They, the girls that I, young women that I talk with in India, um, look to Fridays for Future. So they have chapters like in their city and they do urban chapters and work with Fridays for Future. So they, they, they use that international influence. But um, it's, it's not easy. And I was surprised at how all of these, like Fridays for Future chapters, even in Stockholm, where it started, are, are very small. So they, they do, they have a big voice with not a whole lot of people, except they do get millions of people that turn out on the, like the annual September school strike day, then they get millions. Let's take that as a, a transition uh, in our hopscotch European activists. And again, they are anything but uniform. You, you went all the way from Scandinavia to Turkey and uh, Scotland. Are there common concerns across that broad swath of Europe? Well, Fridays for Future started there and we've all heard of Extinction Rebellion. XR mm -hmm. started in England. So Europe has been uh, the mother of, I would say, the largest environmental youth-led groups. Well, not that Extinction Rebellion is youth-led, but it has a youth wing. Um, and what I didn't know about is one of their European foci, it, focal points, is um, agriculture. We don't usually think of that in, in terms of climate change, but they're, they're really focusing on changing the European Union ag policies so they don't favor the factory farm large production and uh, will be more supportive of the small farmer who can farm organically and with diverse crops and that kind of thing. So, um, the, the, and the other kind of theme that I heard in Europe is they want governments to acknowledge the climate emergency and to develop a plan. I mean, obviously that's the beginning to solve any problem. You have to admit that it exists. And it's amazing that in 2021, that's still an issue to get people to admit that we're responsible for climate change. So it sounds like most of the work is being done at a, at a political legislative level, trying to get new laws, new policy statements in the government to bring about change that way. Did you run any, across any uh, kind of boots on the ground, people going out to rake the forest in Scandinavia or, <laughs> <laughs> or, or 
within England, uh, there would be potential for small groups to go out and work with farmers and, and talk about composting and other uh, ecologically valuable and sensitive approaches to their work. Did you get a sense that they're out there do, doing that sort of thing as well? No, that's a really interesting question. I didn't. Um, most of the boots on the ground are doing uh, demonstrations, marches, uh -huh. and then Extinction Rebellion does, we're going to put red paint on walls or trains or whatever to show the blood that's being shed by climate change. So um, the focus okay. has been on calling attention to the need to address the issue rather than hands on in mm -hmm. the composting or, or whatever. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so, it is interesting. Can you talk about maybe some of the more interesting uh, young women that you met in, in some of these European countries? Can you introduce us to somebody? <laughs> right. Um, I am thinking of the two young women that I interviewed in um, Turkey. And one of them is a um, aerialist. And so you can see uh, on, in, on my YouTube channel um, and online, um, her name is uh, Halal Senel, S-E-N-E-L. And so she, she works with Extinction Rebellion. So they do the kind of street art, performance art, um, making a statement with, with drama. And there, there's a picture that you could see of her kind of in white leotard um, hanging from uh, ribbons, streamers from a tree upside down. And she's putting coal dust on her to, to show this is, you know, this is, this is pollution. Um, and uh, she was really interesting because she started out as, a, as an engineering major and then realized she didn't want to go that way and went into sociology. And then now she's interested in videography and, and making videos. So, and then the other kind of interesting girl from Turkey um, is, is named Selen Goran. And she helped start, she started the high school activist movement for the climate in Turkey. And she just got accepted to Princeton. So this wow. is her, her <laughs> this is her first year at Princeton virtually. Mm -hmm. And she's hoping oh, maybe yeah. she'll go next semester mm -hmm. in, in person. But um, these, these young women are pretty typical in that they're, they don't come from poor families. Like these girls' parents are educators and professionals. And that was fairly true. So a lot of the girls in, let's say, Latin America went to professional, I mean, um, private schools because the public schools are so bad and their parents, you know, work two jobs to put them through school, but they, the parents were, were middle class. Hmm. Um, so I, I thought that was, that was interesting. interesting. Yes. Yeah. They have the bandwidth to take on something, whereas Literally. people who are mm -hmm. poor, yeah, literally and figuratively. Um, this is Ecotopia on KZFR, FM 90.1 in Chico, and you are listening to Ecotopia, exploring ecosystems, environmental, social, and technological. And the ecosystem we're examining today is 
youth activism, specifically activism by young women, as described by Dr. Gail Kimball in her new book, Climate Girls Saving Our World. So we're not doing justice to all the countries and continents represented in your book, particularly Latin America. Uh, but we'd, at this point, maybe a little selfishly, we'd like to bring it home to North America. You've had a number of interviews in Canada and the United States. In fact, uh, nothing like 50-50. I think the, the Canadian interviews may dominate that section, section of the book. Lots going on up there. What amazing projects are they conducting? And how do conditions differ in, uh, in North America from what we've seen about Asia, Africa, and Europe? Well, I would say one theme that unifies all of Generation Y activists, not just in climate change, is they're concerned about social justice. So they uh -huh. think about climate change, not just in terms of what technology do we need to stop um, the Arctic from melting. They think about this really affects poor people, this really affects women, it affects the young women who have to walk further in Africa to get the water or the firewood and means they can't go to school because they have to do this work. So I would say they generation Y is it's one of the amazing things is how similar they are. The educated young people have similar values. They value diversity. They don't care if you're black or white or brown or yellow or straight or gay or bi or whatever. They, they really see people as, um, as whole, um, as, as individuals, as who they are, not their caste or their, or their whatever. So social justice is a theme in North America as well. And the, the North Americans have started a lot of organizations that are people have heard of, like the Sunrise Movement, um, 2019, and uh, uh, Indian American young women and friends started it. And as listeners, viewers probably know, Sunrise has been very active in promoting the Green New Deal. And they have helped elect, like Senator Markey in Massachusetts, they campaigned for him, um, even though he was much older than his um, younger opponent. So um, Sunrise, I think, is the most active politically, making the biggest impact. So their way to deal with climate change is to have a Green New Deal, like the old New Deal under Franklin Roosevelt, where the government says, okay, we're going to pay you to create murals and build walls and build trails. And we all know the infrastructure is failing and and needs help. So um, Sunrise is really active. Uh, I don't know. I, I tried to find out if there are groups of Sunrise in Canada, and I heard there were yes, but I couldn't find out where. Um, one of the oldest U.S. groups is called Zero Hour. That was formed in 2018. So all this is, is really new. And it's amazing that the young people have had just in a few years the opportunity to make as much wave as they have. I think they have been very influential. They worked hard to get Biden to commit to his policy. So now he has um, Gina McCarthy and um, Al Gore as climate czars. 
So I think Sunrise partly takes credit for that. that mm -hmm. he, he put dealing with the climate crisis front and center, partly because of their pressure. Um, Zero Hour was started by Jamie Margolin and she's written about her activism and suggestions for how to be an activist. Um, and she's also interesting of a theme that, that I heard more so in North America is dealing with young people's anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. So before people didn't talk about that as much, but I think probably there is more anxiety and depression among young people today. And studies show that, um, that the, the rate has been increasing. And um, scholars like Jean Twingy uh, attribute it to social media use, but I think that's oversimplifying it. I think they're, they're anxious and depressed because they fear for their future. Yeah. They don't trust adults. They think we failed them. And it, you don't have to look very far to see that that's true. We have failed them. Our, our, our planet is being destroyed. So many species being eradicated or breathing polluted air, children growing up in Chinese cities with damaged lungs, that kind of thing. Um, so they, they share this, this um, disrespect for adults. And I guess the other side of that coin is they really respect youth. And they, they, they say, yes, Generation Z is very powerful. I heard that a lot. We're powerful, we're powerful, we're powerful. Mm -hmm. and, um, and at the same time, they think adults have made a mess of it. And it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, I wouldn't. No <laughs> argument here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love to snorkel. It's, it's, I just love it. And it's so sad to me to think that half the coral reefs have been bleached and destroyed. Yeah. And the girls in um, Australia were fighting really hard for a, a big new coal mine, a Dani, A-D-A-N-I coal mine. And that part of the the processes would go over the Great Barrier Reef, which is already being trashed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But but the Australian government says no, making the money, giving people right. good jobs. There wouldn't, and the girls said there wouldn't be that many jobs for that long. But um, in places like Australia, India, we hear the U.S. We hear money over human yeah. quality of life. Mm -hmm. yeah, but in the long run. That's stupid because if, if everything is polluted, we have more health issues. It costs money. People aren't as productive. Yeah, it's very short-term yeah. thinking. Yeah. It's, it doesn't look out beyond their noses practically. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just wondering, uh, we did kind of slide over some other uh, countries that where you interviewed, if there are other are there others that you'd like to talk about that we didn't make space for? Um, I'd, I'd like to say one thing more about North America in terms of mm. what stood out as different. Yeah. And that is that um, that was where I heard most about the dynamics of group interaction. And young people refer to that as drama. And so mm. this is from an anonymous a girl, high school girl in the US. She said, the overwhelming issue in the youth climate movement is always drama, in the US especially, as we tend to be more individualistic. 
I see an unhealthy relationship with celebrity. And I said, you mean jealousy about who gets more immediate attention? And she says, yes, which gives the celebrities a lot of power and influence. It, it creates competition when we all really need to be working together. I'm an introvert and really prefer to work in the background, but I've been an activist since I was very young. So I have a lot of experience. I know people and organizations and to get, tend to get involved very quickly. So I've received attention accidentally. When that happens in the US, you tend to be seen as highly ambitious and a threat to other oh. activists, mm -hmm. especially the gatekeepers. We need to stop thinking about ourselves and work together because we all want a sustainable world for everyone. And I suggested that she read a book called Chimpanzee Politics by France DeWall, because <laughs> that really helped me um, understand university politics, that we're just like the chimps, dominance hierarchies, power gestures, allies, doing little favors for people, threatening, trying to look bigger, shoulder pads, ties, whatever the, the markers are. <laughs> We spent a lot of time in that environment, so we know the, the chimps well. <laughs> we're one of them, but we, yeah, we were part of it, but we, we didn't <laughs> climb that high in the tree. <laughs> we're listening, you're listening to Ecotopia on KZFR, Chico, serving the Sacramento Valley, the foothills, and beyond. We're Susan and Stephen Schutte. We're talking with Gail Kimball about her recent book, Climate Girls Changing the World. We want to shift gears here a little bit. Uh, you give a detailed description of the characteristics of these young leaders. Uh, you've talked a little bit about many of them come from middle or upper class environments that they have a little bit training parents who've influenced them and they've got some money, even though we've, we've talked great. about the unfortunate relationship between money and environmental degradation. Yeah. So, uh, Maybe you could give us a rundown on some or all of the characteristics that you found in your 54 interviewees. Uh, one thing that was interesting to me is I always ask about birth order and two thirds were first or only children. And in my book about visionary scientists, the trilogy, um, the large majority were firstborn. And the so these, the visionary scientists and the activists in the climate movement are similar in that they're willing to be in the vanguard, have the courage to speak out, to go against the norm. And it looks like firstborns um, are, are more able to do that, to be the, hmm. in the vanguard, because they were in the vanguard in, yeah. their, in, their, in their family system. So I thought that was interesting. Um, they, I asked them words to describe themselves and they said determined, passionate, caring, kind. And when I asked them if they were feminists, they said things, mm -hmm. oh yes, 100%, of course. So only two of the 54 said, I don't use that word. They said, mm -hmm. I believe in equality, I believe in equal rights, but I, I just, I don't focus on it because my whole focus is on planting trees or doing, doing the climate work. So that was very distinctive. And it wasn't wishy-washy, it was, of course. Whereas um, I know earlier I heard a lot of, I'm not a feminist, but, 
Mm-hmm. I believe okay. in equality. I'm not a feminist, but these girls don't do that. Generation mm. uh, Z says, uh, I'm a feminist. Of course. Um, their career goals were focused on working in institutions, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So like NGOs, working for the UN, working for some government policy. Um, so that those were the top businesses. I mean, Which also the top organizations implies that making a fortune isn't their highest priority because most of those outfits, no. maybe the UN is different, but uh, if they're working for an NGO, they're working for peanuts. Yeah, no, their money wasn't their highest priority. Um, th- six wanted to be environmental scientists. There are a few lawyers, few teachers. Um, and then Another thing that was interesting was I asked them what motivated them, what got them going. And you won't be surprised. Um, a lot of them said listening to Greta Thunberg's speeches, like when she spoke to the UN, or that was, that was probably the biggest one. And they were so moved by seeing this teenager telling the adults, What's wrong with you? Shame on you. You failed us. You're the children. We have to act like the adults. You've taken our youth from us. (laughs) Whoa, she can do that. I I can do that, too. And Well, and the fact that the adults went after Greta, Trump and others, a lot of people said, what is this kid doing? Who is somebody said uh, she's had a bad upbringing. She should go home and open her school books and stop doing this. So the very fact that she was attacked has to be a little bit encouraging to young women who are activists. So yeah, me too, I think. A really funny thing is when Time Magazine put Greta on the cover as person of the year, Trump's people took her cover with her little body and put his head where her head was. <laughs> I mean, it, it really looked because she's so frail and small right. and Deb is big right. head. But, so they they felt they should have been there, not not her. Um, and a, a criticism that a lot of the, the kids get is that you're you're just being manipulated by liberals. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the liberals are just using you as pawn. So when Greta turned 18, she recently this year, she tweeted, um, well, I'm going down to the bar and liberate myself from all the the puppeteers who've been pulling my strings. <laughs> now I'm 18. <laughs> I don't have to listen yeah. to my liberal manipulators anymore. So <laughs> if she uses humor very effectively and sarcasm. Yeah. Um, they were also motivated by their parents who were environmentalists, by seeing natural disasters, by being in nature by documentaries, by people like David Attenborough and Al Gore. And I'm always interested because media is such an important part of young people's lives. And media sometimes can be really motivational, like Princess Leia from the Star Wars, um, Harry Potter. um, What's Hmm. the name of Harry Potter's female sidekick? Oh, um, oh my gosh! Yeah, Hermione, Hermione, Hermione. Ranger, Ranger. Those those fictional characters 
were motivating to them. Also Nemo the fish, I heard references huh. to be like Nemo and keep on going. Um, so, so that was curious, those, those were all interesting. And you asked about their astrological signs. People get on me about that because it's not scientific. I did that with the visionary scientists. I'm doing it with the marriage, long-term marriage couples. And the reason I like it is because most people know a little bit about their type. So with all the girls or only a couple said, I don't know about it. But so it's a really quick way to get in. Oh, you're a cancer. Are you kind of a homebody? Are you sensitive? Mm -hmm. And da, 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 da. And then they can say yes or no. So um, to me, because it's so well known and it's symbolic, not scientific, it, it, it's a quick way to get it at a personality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Was there a distribution? Uh, did you yes. find a particular yes. sign that? Mm -hmm. Not that um, we're, we're not talking, claiming it's scientific. We're just interested no. in the the number the the interesting thing was the the characteristic of the top signs was communication so virgo and gemini were the most common and they're governed by the planet mercury which has to do with communication hmm. and then then there was um libra was third and libra and gemini are air signs that are communicators so the astrological indication was there are people who are interested in communicating with other people. My Aquarians don't seem to have figured prominently in the survey. Nope. nope. Um, in, the, in the visionary <laughs> scientists, Sagittarians were the most numerous because they like to ask deep questions. Mm -hmm. All right, right. So there's some reason to the madness. You're listening to Ecotopia on KZFR and viewing it on Gail's YouTube channel. This is really an exhaustive piece of research. And we want to know a little bit now about how you feel about the results, your degree of optimism, and particularly the, the roots that these young roots, R-O-U-T-E-S, that these young people are taking to promote change. Are you op optimistic, pessimistic, etc.? Wide open question. I would be a lot more pessimistic if Trump had gotten a second term because oh, yeah. he's done everything he possibly could to get rid of any kind of environmental protections, you know, drilling in the Arctic and all the selling land, leasing to oil companies off the coast and that. So I, I am much more optimistic because Biden has a commitment to addressing climate change. Um, and I just read a report that that's from the same group, the UN Scientific Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. They said that if we go to zero emissions by 2050, then it will be quicker than the scientists thought that global warming can stop. We, I've always heard that, it's, that once the carbon dioxide is in the air, that it, it would take just so long for things to cool down but they said no if you if you have zero emissions maybe it takes 10 10 years to to mm. restore mm -hmm. the, the balance so that was that was encouraging to me but um i 
China is building more coal mines, not shutting them down, but building it. Although yeah. President Xi is committed to zero emissions by 2060, I think it is. And more and more countries are committing to zero emissions by 2035, 2040, 2050, 2060. So that's, that's encouraging. Um, but we know from the Paris Accord that countries said, oh yes, we sign on, but emissions got worse. Mm -hmm. So the emissions got worse, uh, the, the planet is warming and we're near to the 1.5 yeah. heat that, that scientists have said is so destructive and there's no turning back that those, uh, and so many species have been already eliminated and whatever. So. I'm, I'm optimistic because more governments are committed to zero emissions and I'm pessimistic because the, the activists have pointed out, Greta has pointed out, you can't really have climate change with capitalism, that you have to change the economy. Yeah. And so some of the girls and young women talked about a circular economy, not a capitalist economy. Mm -hmm. So with the economic system we have, we know that money talks and the big uh, fossil fuel companies are doing everything they can to spread disinformation. Uh, so I, I don't know. Can I ask you if you're optimistic or pessimistic doing this show? Do you mm. talking to a lot of scientists? How do you feel about optimism or pessimism? I, yeah, Go ahead. I, all of the people that mm. we interview, we ask that question. Are you optimistic? And all of them, say, yes, I wouldn't be doing this work if I didn't think there was hope, if I, if I didn't think that there were solutions. And so I'm kind of optimistic um, uh, because of them. So I'm, I, That's what I, the girls say exactly. Yeah. I have to be optimistic or otherwise, why do the work? Yeah. yeah. I think I'm more cynical than Susan is. Uh, we've asked a number of people on the show, should we depend on our government to handle this? And a great many of them said, no, forget it. The politicians are not the ones who will change it. A lot of people talked about grassroots movements uh, and just larger, uh, a lot of people didn't in fact talked about commercial interests like the solar yeah, wind energy uh, industry, which we know Biden's already committed to this. It'll create a lot of jobs and uh, we can continue to work with materials, but do so conservatively. So I, and I guess I also have a little faith in brinksmanship, though I hate to have it. But in this country, we have a long history of going right to the brink and then we take action. And we just have to hope when we get to the brink, the dirt doesn't crumble underneath us. That the, we're, at we, the brink. We're, yeah, at the we're at the brink. We're at the brink, yes, right. indeed. Let's, uh, we have just a couple minutes left. Uh, tell us a little bit about more in particular, where can people get the book? Where can they view your videos? And what other sources would you like to recommend for people who would like to engage in the movement? And this would be whether they're young women uh, or any interested global citizen. You can go to www.gailkimball.org forward slash bookstore pardon and spell gail kimball thank you yeah. um g-a-y-l-e 
K-I-M-B-A-L-L dot org forward slash bookstore. And that lists all the books and you, and you can see how to get them. And then the if you just Google Gail Kimball YouTube, my YouTube channel will come up and you can see the um, climate activists, the visionary scientists, um, my ballroom dancing videos, all kinds of things. <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> and other resources in the book, what I think is useful oh, yeah. is, is I listed the um, problems that we're experiencing. And then the end of the book, after the interviews, I listed uh, solutions what cities can do, states can do, governments mm -hmm. can do, businesses yeah. can do, what we can do as individuals has a long section. So, um, and then I also listed in the book other video interviews I've done retain, regarding the climate and the environment that are on my, my YouTube channel. And what I think in the U.S. that, um, that, if young people would gravitate probably to the sunrise movement or Fridays for future. And um, in terms of uh, intergenerational move on.org 350.org Sarah club, Sierra club. Um, who else can you think of probably 350.org and move on.org do them are the most active. Mm -hmm. What would you add to the list? Uh, well, I, I think um, Earth Justice is really important because they are litigating on issues regarding climate change. And, and you can't maybe directly get involved, but you can contribute to them because they're paying lawyers to make sure people don't get away with evil. And the Environmental Defense Fund. We've interviewed folks from them. They're a great, great group. Good. Um, uh, our time is up. Thank you so much, Gail. Um, we've been talking with Gail Kimball. She is the author of Climate Girls Changing the World. We appreciate having you on Ecotopia. This has been Ecotopia on KZFR 90.1 in Chico.